You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Uh, I'm excited that you're here this morning as we continue our Joseph series. And really, this is the last message. Been praying about this, excited for what God wants to speak. Uh, believe in some freedom this morning. And uh, I always know it's a good message when I feel like uh, the enemies were going over time. So <laughs> I feel like I'm excited for what God's going to bring. Would you pray with me this morning as the buckets are finished past? God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word because your word is powerful. Your word is alive, it's active. God, it touches our heart, it transforms our life. And so God, when we, we're looking for answers, God, when we're looking uh, for you to speak to us, God, we can just open your word and you speak right into our heart and transform our lives. And so we just say thank you this morning, Lord. I pray for soft hearts in this place. I pray for attentive minds in this place, that as we hear your word, it would transform us, that it would encourage us, that it would strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you thank the band this morning? Amen. Thank you, band. Oof. Just feel that pad. We call that the Holy Spirit pad. It just gets nice and full. It's fun. Well, hey, uh, this morning I want to talk um, about the F word. And uh, you guys have probably heard the F word. You probably heard it in church. You might have heard your grandma say it. If you came from a different background, you might have heard a priest say it. But I want to talk about the F word this morning. Raise your hand if you know what the F word is. Fire. <laughs> Fire. <laughs> the F word is forgiveness. So we all know the four-letter F word, and some of us more than others could rattle it off quicker and imply it in more sentences. But the F word that we have the most trouble with is forgiveness. That is the one that we, I think, have the biggest problem with, is forgiveness. Is that we love all the scripture about, like, love and hope and feeling good, but we struggle a little bit with the scripture about forgiveness, right? That's the one where we're like, yeah, you know, you should believe what the Bible says, and then we read the ones of forgiveness, and we're like, well... <laughs> Maybe in time, you know, we'll get there. But the, the Bible is so clear about forgiveness, and the reason is because if we want to step in, we've been talking about this Dreamer series, if we want to step in to what God has called us, the purpose that he's called us, we believe that freedom is found in forgiveness. Are you with me this morning? That freedom, in order to step into the freedom, in order to step into the purpose, in order to step into the problem, it requires forgiveness. And so this morning, I want to talk about forgiveness. And, and, and for many of us, that's going to be a hard topic. Because as we talk about forgiveness, the last thing that your mind is going to want to do is let it go. Is to let something go. Is to forgive. Um, my daughter is a huge fan of Frozen. So I could sing all of Let It Go. I mean, word for word, with actions, you know. The snow was white on the mountain tonight. Not a footstep. To be seen, you know, it does hold in the kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. <laughs> oh man, good times. Having a daughter, it really changes you. But this idea of letting it go and believing, because in the Dreamer series, we've been saying, okay, God, uh, would you awaken a dream in our, would you, would you well up a dream, would you breathe on the coals of my heart, would, would you stir up something in my life, and I want to live in this purpose of what you've called me to do. I don't want to just go through the motions, I want to live out the purpose that you've called me to do. But what we see in the life of Joseph is, in order to live in the purpose, you have to leave the prison. And 
unforgiveness will function like a prison for many of us. And so Joseph not only shows us how to dream, Joseph not only shows us, if you missed the last couple weeks, please, please, please go check him out because we talk about how do you endure? How are you enduring in the process when it seems like the world is just throwing everything at you? And some of you, you missed it, but I encourage you, go listen. It's on our website. But we, we've talked about that and covered this idea of how to be faithful in the process. And now we're at the part of Joseph's life, at, at kind of towards the end of the story here, where we need to learn how to walk in the freedom of forgiveness. That we need to walk in the freedom of forgiveness. And so um, if you've been with us, or maybe this is your first week, just a little recap here. Joseph is the most loved son of Jacob. And I showed that family tree, and we talked about the chaos of the family. We talked about the supreme dysfunction in the family. And Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. They're going to kill him. They sell him into slavery. He rises up the ranks in slavery, right? I mean, I, I guess as high as you can go as a slave, rises up the ranks. Then he's falsely accused of a crime. He's put in prison. He rises up the ranks in prison. Uh, we talked the other week about how crazy of an idea it would be to let a prisoner run a prison because I feel like first thing you would do is let yourself out of prison. But he rises up and he begins to run this prison. He then interprets a dream that the person he interprets it for doesn't remember him. But eventually Pharaoh has a dream. And so he's called up out of prison to interpret a dream from Pharaoh. It all goes well for him in this moment. Finally, he kind of gets like a moment of something good happening to him. And in this moment, he becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And at that time, likely one of the most powerful men in the world. And so his brothers come, and we talked last week, his brothers come back, and he, and he encounters his brothers. And he encounters all, all of these feelings. And his family, it, it begins to be reconciled in this moment. And so now, where we are in Genesis chapter 50 is 26 years after his family reconciled. So for those of you who are trying to keep up on the timeline, Joseph is sold into slavery. And then he goes 22 years. So he's sold in at 17, goes 22 years. He's 30 when his family comes and begins to reconcile. Now we're 26 years after that moment. And what happens is that uh, Jacob is older, and so Jacob finally passes away. And so the scripture we're reading this morning is right after Jacob passes away. And it's Genesis 50, uh, starting in verse 15. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, great. I encourage you always, you know, bring the Word of God. It's good. Or download the Bible app. It's a great app. Uh, also, it'll be up on the screens I believe as well. So we're going to read through it and kind of walk through it because it's, it's a really interesting moment because you would think Joseph went through all of these things, 22 years, and then he has this great encounter with his brothers and you think like that's the ride off into the sunset moment, saves them from famine, saves them all this. And yet 26 years later, look what happens. 26 years later, verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. It may be that Joseph will pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So mind you, this is now 26 plus 22 years later. Think about that. Uh, who's good at math? 48, right? Everyone with me? <laughs> we can all do that. 48. That's 48 years after this crime, 26 years after the moment where they supposedly reconcile, and the brothers realize our father is dead, 
And they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil that, they, that, he, that we did to him. And so what you see here is they're admitting that what they're doing was evil, right? They're admitting this action was evil, and they still carry, this is crazy, all of this guilt in their lives. They still carry all of this guilt to this moment. And in their mind, what was keeping them safe was their father. So in their mind, in the brother's mind, according to what they're saying here, the only thing that was keeping Joseph from murdering all of them and enacting judgment against them was their father. And so now that dad's gone, they're like, we're hosed. We're in trouble. And so they're afraid of this retribution because I think rightfully, rightfully so, Joseph had, we talked about this last week, the legal authority to enact vengeance against them. Joseph had the legal authority to kill these guys, and no one would have been like, yeah, you should not do that. He had all of the authority, all of the power to enact his own vengeance on his brothers. And for many of us, if we were, you know, you know attempted murder, sold into slavery, and then we got into power and these guys came up, we'd be like, this is my moment. This is what I've been waiting for. And so the brothers assume that. And so what happens, we'll keep reading, verse 16. So they, the brothers sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. So they, they think, okay, Jacob's gone, but we can still invoke uh, our father. This is the classic. I didn't have siblings, but I watch siblings do this all the time. And they're like, well, dad says. Right, let me tell you, dad, your kids have said you've said things that you've never said. <laughs> like I watch siblings be like, well, dad said it's my turn on the Xbox. And I was like, I know your dad. He hates this Xbox. He doesn't want any of y'all playing this. Like, I know for a fact that my child will argue with some future child and say, hey, you know, my dad said this is my unicorn stuffed animal. Like, I can possibly keep count of stuffed animals or care, right? And so they begin to invoke their father, and a lot of commentators say that this invoking their dad was just totally made up. It was likely totally made up that, that they're trying to appeal to Joseph and say, listen, dad said, don't kill us, please. Right? So here's what happens in verse 17, which is a weird flex, but okay. It says, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brother and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of your servants of the God your father, they say. What it assumes is that Joseph hasn't forgiven them. Right, when they say, please forgive us, what they're assuming is over 26 years, he hasn't forgiven them for selling them into slavery, which I, we're likely to be hard on biblical characters, and I've never been sold into slavery, but I imagine if I had been sold into slavery, I don't know what the time frame on letting that go would be. 26 years might not be enough, right? Some of us had stuff happen 26 years ago that we haven't let go. I mean, 26 years, it sounds like a lot in that number, but for them it was perfectly reasonable to think we're in serious trouble. Like, we're in serious trouble. If Joseph kills us, he gets all the money. If Joseph kills us, he gets all the wealth. If Joseph kills us, he's not only, he's not only okay legally to do it, but he gets everything. And so we got to figure out a way that we do not die and all of our families do not die. Because nobody surely can get over this. Nobody surely can move through this. Nobody surely can forgive us for what we have done. And it says, Joseph weeps. Joseph weeps, he cries, he cries out loud, he weeps, but why does he weep? He weeps because his brothers really do believe that he's going to enact vengeance. He weeps because his brothers for 26 years have lived with fear. 
For 26 years, they've lived with doubt. For 26 years, they've lived with guilt. For 26 years, they lived with anguish. They've been a slave to the past. For 26 years, Joseph is released. Joseph is living the dream. Joseph is out of prison, and yet for 26 years, his brothers have been trapped. And so what does it say? Verse 18 says, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. And we see this moment of humility from them. I think humility is often a gateway to freedom. God loves to work in humble hearts. Verse 19, it says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Okay, just stop there for a second. Joseph's response is, am I in the place of God? See, I know me, and I know in that moment, like, you got some power, you got some authority, you want to, you know, really, like, establish your authority. But Joseph says, am I in the place of God? Joseph knew he is not in God's place. Joseph knows I had the right and the ability to bring retribution against my brothers, to take judgment on them for how they hurt me, right? I can finally get back at them for all that they've done to me. I see people like post and say things all the time. Like when I finally make it, I'm going to show the haters. And let me just tell you, people that hate always hate. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or successful. People that have that attitude will always have that attitude. You're not showing anybody. You're just hurting yourself, right? But Joseph knew judgment belongs to the Lord, which is interesting. Romans 12, 19 says this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. That's a scary phrase. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. I've heard it said, uh, Rabbi Zacharias, if any of you guys listen, he talks a lot about social justice. And I was at a talk that he did in, at ASU, if, I don't know if some of you were there, and he talked about social justice, right, justice in the world. And he said, social justice is an impossible concept if you do not believe in eternity and the judgment of the Lord. It's impossible that judgment will be properly served on this earth. It's impossible that judgment for the way that people have hurt others will, will, could possibly ever be covered by a, by a response or an action on this earth. And, and we're going to drive ourselves crazy trying to sit in God's judgment seat. Now, important, I'm not saying that there's no justice. Like, get this. I'm not saying that there's no justice. In fact, Isaiah 117, I love Isaiah, it says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow, right? So everyone's with me. I'm not saying no justice. Are you with me? Are you with me? I'm going to make sure we're good. I don't want you walking in here with some weird theology about let people beat you up in the street and then, you know, we should, like, don't call the cops or something. Call the police. <laughs> But I think it's important that when we place ourselves in God's judgment seat, we remove the opportunity for true justice by him. Because you're never going to do a good, as good a job as him. We feel. And that when we hold on to unforgiveness, it's often because we feel like there was not sufficient justice. That we hold on to it as a way to punish or continually punish because we don't believe that there was sufficient justice. I think it would have been easy for Joseph to hold on to unforgiveness. Because not only did the people that tried to kill him and enslaved him not go to jail, you know what they got? Super rich. 
So not only did the people that hurt him not get punished uh, in a judicial sense, they got so wealthy. The part that we skipped over in Genesis talks about how Joseph had all the grain and all the Egyptians came and sold their property and their sheep and their cattle and all that they owned and then eventually themselves to Pharaoh in order to get grain. Meanwhile, Joseph's family are raking it in. Right, They're bringing in all the money. So a whole people become slaves to their own leader, and Joseph's people are successful. Joseph's brothers do really well. Joseph's brothers are making it big. But in order for Joseph to walk in the freedom, to walk in his purpose, to walk in his life, there had to be forgiveness, and he had to take himself off God's judgment seat. Are you with me this morning? He had to remove himself off of the seat of judgment. See, because evil does not control eternity. In the end, justice belongs to the Lord. In the end, justice belongs to God. And if we try, this is crazy, if we try to take that position of judgment, then we lower the level of justice that is served and increase our level of bitterness that is held. If we lower, if we begin to say, I'm responsible for this, I'm going to hold on to it, I'm going to punish, I'm going to judge, then what happens is we begin to lower the true level of justice that God wants to serve, and we begin to say things like, God, I'm okay with your grace for me, but I want judgment for them. God, I'm okay to receive the fullness of the judgment for me, but I want justice for them. Verse 20, he says this, I love verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is like one of my favorite attributes of God is that the enemy tries to destroy and he tries to beat down and there's brokenness and hurt and pain in this world. And yet God takes what the enemy meant for evil and can use it for good. That God can take what the enemy meant to destroy and still, it's like, how can, how can anything come out of this? And I, I don't know the answer. God does. That God can take what the enemy meant to destroy and bring some good out of it. And so we wonder, how can Joseph respond this way, right? So much evil has been done to him. How is he not living just locked in the trauma of his past? I mean, I'm not saying he, he doesn't have issues. I'm not saying he doesn't probably pray to God. I'm not saying he couldn't use some counseling. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, how does he respond so favorably with such confidence? And it's this, is that Joseph knew that his life, and the fulfillment of his dream was in the hands of God, not in the hands of men. I hope you're following me this morning because he could look back over his life and see all of the evil that was meant to destroy him. And yet what he could also see is all of the places where his life was in the hand of God and preserved him and sustained him and made a way for him. And that God was fulfilling a great purpose in him, not because of what man had done, but in spite of that. That he was doing something. God has the power. God will fulfill the dream. We trust in God, not of man. That's what Romans 8.28 says. And we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, do you know that you've been called according to God's purpose? Some of us, we have a hard time getting that because of the evil like in Joseph's life that's been done against you. You have a hard time even wrapping your head around. That's okay. It took Joseph. This is 26 years. This is process. Don't be afraid of the process. No one's saying you got to be all together right now on Sunday morning. You're in process and that's okay. 
But see, in my life, I, I realize that my problem is I'm human. And I only see things from my side. Uh, there was this example. Um, there was a preacher, and, and he had this bookmark, and on the back uh, was all this embroidered twine, and it was all wound together, and it was all knotted and strained. And when he would go meet with somebody, he would ask them, and they would be struggling and struggling, why? And they would ask that question, why and why and why and why? And he would show them this bookmark, and he would say on the back through the knotted twine, he'd say, what does that say? What does this say? They'd be like, I, I don't know. I can't see it. And he would turn it over, and on the other side, it would say, God is love. See, on their side, what we could see, the side that we could see, we just couldn't put it together. But God sees every side. Because our life is not in the hand of men, it is in the hand of God. And Joseph gave his life into the hands of God. And so when we choose to trust God, we, we choose to trust someone who sees all sides. And that's what Joseph did. I mean, look at his life. For those of you who haven't been with us, with us in the series, I'll, I'll just explain it to you. If Joseph never went to Egypt, he would have never been sold to Potiphar. If Joseph was never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife would have never falsely accused him. And if he hadn't been falsely accused, Joseph would never have been put in prison. And if he hadn't been put in prison, he wouldn't have met the cupbearer or the baker. And if he hadn't met the cupbearer and the baker, he would not have interpreted the dream. And if he would not have interpreted the dream, he would have not had the opportunity to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. And let me tell you, it is, I mean, obviously I know how the Lord works and he can work beyond things. But if he doesn't interpret the dream of Pharaoh, there is no stockpiling for the famine. And if there's no stockpiling for the famine, then his family cannot come to Cain or to Egypt to get food. And if his family cannot come and get food from Egypt, you know what happens? They die. Do you know who Jesus came through? This family. But if this family dies, you and I likely... Like, are you with me? Are you following? That Jesus doesn't come, you and I, we don't receive the love and the hope of life. See, so much had to do with the purpose that God had made for, for Joseph. That all these things the enemy was throwing at Joseph to destroy him. God used it for good. And Joseph stood strong because he knew that my life is in the hands of God, not in the hands of men. So that when I'm faced with those evil men, my response is simply what you meant for evil, God used for good. What you meant for evil, God used for good. See, the world said, take vengeance. The world said, you should, man, you should pay these guys back. Do you have any idea what they stole from you? Do you have any idea what they robbed from you? Do you have any idea the years of their life that they've taken? And, and Joseph replies in, in just this incredible moment, am I in the seat of God? Verse 21, it's, it, this is... He continues, and it says this, So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This, this is a powerful moment. Here's Joseph. Now he's got to be 56 years old, and he's looking at these families of his brothers, and he's looking at their young ones, and he's saying, Hey, when I was young, when I was vulnerable, you tried to kill me, but... God saved me, and because of God, I now can reply in compassion and say, I'll protect your young ones. I'll protect your little ones. I know I have all the authority to wipe out your whole family, but I'm going to protect them. I'm going to care for them. And it says he spoke kindly. Joseph is being kind to the very people that tried to kill him. Think about that. He's being kind to the very people that tried to kill him. I recently this week read a story about a Holocaust survivor who was struggling with nightmares, and so she went to a therapist and asked her, and she said, well, why don't you just start writing letters to people? So she started writing letters uh, to Nazis. 
and she ends up encountering a former guard at Auschwitz and, and where they had the gas chambers, and, and she finally convinces this person because they were denying that these things ever happened. And so she convinces this person, go with me to Auschwitz and, and put a stamp on it and, and say this happened. Mind you, this is her and her sister that were tortured all, all throughout her life. And, and so he does, and he goes, and, and, and all of a sudden she goes back and she thinks, this, this person did something for me, and I know they tried to do evil against me, but now what do I do? And so she goes home and she begins to write a thank you note to a Nazi as a former Jewish person in a uh, concentration camp. And she said when she wrote that note and sent it, she felt the freedom. She felt it leave her and release her. How can you show such compassion in the face of such hurt and such pain? How can you, how can you forgive? For Joseph, it was because Joseph knows God, and he trusts that God is who he said he is. Joseph knows the Lord, and he trusts that the Lord is who he said he is. See, our biggest problem in forgiving others usually comes from not truly knowing the love of God and not really trusting him to be who he says he is. Not really trusting the Lord to be all that he says he is. We try to hold on to the control. We try to hold on to the power. We try to hold on to the hurt because we think it gives us power. We don't realize it destroys us. We don't realize it erodes us. In the church so often we've so minimized the power and strength of God that now we don't even realize that vengeance is his, that judgment is his. We've made him so weak and small and adorable that we don't realize that he's your Abba Father and he's strong and tough and mighty, that he will rule for all eternity, that someday he's coming back to judge the world. We, we've made him so small and tiny and acceptable and adorable and Instagrammable that we've made him weak and then we don't believe he is who he said he is and he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Lord. And we don't like that because it doesn't fit into 2018 church because I'm just supposed to tell you all the love stuff. And of course, love is the foundation. We've done six weeks of love. Now you get forgiveness. But we don't like that because it's scary, but it's important because our God is strong and he loves you with his strength. What happens is when we don't accept God for who he is, when we don't give him what he is, we lock ourselves into prison. And we allow rot into the roots of our life. In my garden, I recently had uh, some root rot and plants. And everything looked fine. And then one day they wilted and died. And I was like, what happened? And so I dug up the dirt. And when I dug up the dirt, I found all this fungus and rot that had been working under there for a long, 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 long time. And you'll see this in people that they'll just be all fine. And all of a sudden, they'll just wilt. And you're like, what happened? But as you begin to dig up the soil, you realize under there was this root rot, this bitterness that had crept in, this unforgiveness that had crept in. And they thought it gave them power, but really it put them in prison. That's why Jesus values forgiveness so much. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus really, really, really values forgiveness. He came to bring it. He came to teach it. That's why when Jesus is in Matthew 6, 12, and he's teaching the Lord's Prayer, he says one of the hardest things in the Lord's Prayer. It's easy to ask for daily bread. It's a little harder to, and forgive us our debts or sins, as we have also forgiven our debtors. I like the bread part. That part's awesome, because I love bread. I don't so much like the forgive as I'm forgiving. And now, this is important because I'm not saying like, oh, you know what, I forgave seven times this day, but I was forgiven of eight of my sins, so I'm at a mismatch, and now i got to make it. That's not how it works. It's a gift of grace. But Jesus says something, this is intense, so bear with me because I'm going to explain it. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses or sins or grievances, for if you forgive others your trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Everyone went, dang it. <laughs> right? Does everyone think that's kind of intense? Jesus is kind of intense, right? The, 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 the phrase that people are using all the time is Jesus is kind of savage. He's, he's kind of intense sometimes. But what he's saying is, and, and I want to make sure you're not thinking it's a checks and balances system, is that Ephesians 2.8 says grace is a gift. So you're not losing grace. This isn't about do this this many times, do this this many times. People have come and asked Jesus, do I got to forgive seven times or seven? He's like, seven times 77, right? Just forgive but what it's about is Jesus saying, if you do not believe in grace for others, but just grace for you, you do not understand grace. If you just believe in grace for you, that, that the weight of your sins and the weight of your things, if you just believe it for you, or maybe you don't even believe it for you, because you certainly don't believe it for others, you're at a mismatch when it comes to understanding the depth and riches of the love of Jesus for you. That his grace is for all people. And the problem of unforgiveness is that it destroys our understanding of the fullness of the life that God intended for you to lead. Uh, John Stott wrote, uh, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison trifling. If on the other hand we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. See, what we're, what we're saying when we refuse to forgive, whether or not you know this or not, what you're saying when you refuse to forgive is you're saying God's grace is enough to cover some sins but not others. Cover my sins but not others. Cover who I am but not other people. We're playing God and deciding who gets grace, and God isn't a super huge fan of that. God desires for all people. See, forgiveness does not have anything to do with other people in your life. When I'm telling you to forgive, I'm not saying to forget the actions of your past. I'm not saying to build back relationships. I'm not saying that person that hurt you, that you should go out with them again. I'm not saying that. I'm saying forgiveness has to do with your heart right now. And that when you hold on to unforgiveness, it brews in your heart and it only destroys you. Do not let someone hurt you twice with the same crime. The first crime against you that someone commits is against your body, your life here on earth. When you hold on to bitterness, there's another crime and it's against your eternity. And it robs you of something special and something beautiful and something important. And we say, God, you don't know what this person has done to me. You don't know what this person ha has, has acted upon me. You don't know the things that have hurt me. I'm just going to hold on to this forever, and somehow it's going to punish them. I'm going to hold on because if I let go, then they win. If I let go, you know, then they have it. If I let go, I don't even know what I'm going to have if I let go of how this coworker or this family member or this random person who, who hurt me that should have protected me. If I let go of that, I don't know what's going to happen. But let me tell you, the only person that gets punished by bitterness is the one that holds it. The only person that gets punished by this raging hot fire of bitterness in your heart is you who stands there and holds it. You will get burned. You will get hurt. It doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts you. And so when we let go of that unforgiveness, we're saying, Jesus, I trust who you are. I believe who you say you are. I trust that you took all my sin, all my shame, and you took it to the cross. And I trust that not only did you do it for me, but you did it for everyone. 
Not only did you do it for me, but you did it for Paul the murderer. Not only did you do it for me, but you did it for the thief on the cross. And so if you feel like the thief on the cross, don't worry. He got saved too. He did it for everyone. His grace is a gift for everyone. And so in our heart, don't be in um, opposition to what God wants to give freely. And he wants to give grace. Jesus freed you, not so that you could put yourself back in prison. Not so you could lock yourself back into unforgiveness. He wants you to be free. He desires you to be free. And I'm not saying this to say it's easy. Don't, don't hear me say that. This is why it's at the end. It's not easy. It's difficult. But it's good. Are you with me? It's not easy. I'm not telling you a timeline. I'm not telling you to, 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 that you don't need counseling. I'm not telling you you don't need to go through things. I'm telling you if you hold on to this, you're just robbing yourself of more time that God desires you to walk in the dream, to walk in the purpose, to walk in what he's called you. But if you hold on to all this stuff, you're robbing yourself. And yet I believe that in this church this morning that God wants to free you with forgiveness, that he wants to release the shackles that are on your ankles and on your legs. He wants you to feel the feeling of that weight released, to feel that feeling of the heaviness off of your shoulders, the bitterness off of your heart. He desires that. He loves you so desperately that though you were an enemy to him, he reconciled you to himself by dying on the cross and, and rising again. And he desires for you to not live one more day in slavery than you have to. See, Joseph was in prison, but if he sat there in his bitterness, he would have never stepped into the promise. If he sat there in slavery, in prison, and he said, I'll never forgive them for what they did, he wouldn't be standing in the promise. But he released what was in his heart. He released. Come on, you, you got to know there was a little bit of bitterness in there. You got to know there was some hurt. You got to know there's some rage. You got to know there was some just bare knuckle punching on that cell wall of anger. You have to know that happened, right? No one just sits in a prison cell for 22 years and is chill about it. He had some stuff going on in his life. And yet in order to walk into the dream, he had to walk out of prison. And God is calling some of you this morning to step out of the prison of bitterness into the promise that he's called you. Are you with me? Jesus has freed us to walk in our purpose. And we're not going to shackle ourselves to someone else's choices. You didn't make those choices that hurt you. You didn't, you didn't do anything to deserve that. You didn't deserve what someone did to you. That was not your fault. It's not because of anything that you did. And yet someone might have hurt you, done things against you, and, and harmed you in a way that you're like, I don't even know how to begin to forgive. And yet let me tell you, Jesus Christ came because he knows that your heart is broken and he desires to mend it whole. And he desires to build it. John 10.10 10 says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, Joseph forgave his brothers and he walked in his dream for 26 years. Joseph's brothers stayed trapped in guilt and shame. They, they felt trapped in the, in the state of uncertainty and of fear. And for 26 years, they walked in it when in that moment they could have been freed. In this moment today, in this place, at this church, when you came in, you didn't know this, but you can be free of the bitterness that tries to hold your heart. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the band forward. I call this sermon the freedom of forgiveness because I believe that some of you, God just wants to set you free and release you. God wants to deliver you. God wants to open up doors. 
And I don't know, I don't know what's hurt you. I don't know what situation. I don't even pretend to know. Some of you guys have, have suffered more than, than I could even imagine. And you're such incredibly strong and mighty people. And it blows me away when I talk to you about what you face in your life. And, and yet I know that if you came in in the prison of bitterness, God wants to release you into the freedom of forgiveness. If you came in shackled to the things of your past, you can't walk in your dream. We're talking about dreamers. We're talking about the future. We're talking about the promise. We're talking about what God's called us to do. We're talking about all these things. But you cannot walk into that if you're still chained to the wall in your prison. But Christ has already broken the chains. Christ has already released you. You only stay in the prison if you decide to. You only stay there if you want to. We think people are holding us. We think they're keeping us there. We think, oh, you never know. But you only stay this morning if you want to stay. But if you want to be free, Christ released you into freedom. Would you close your eyes with me? I just want to focus on this picture. Picture if you can, if you've ever seen a prison, been in a prison. Picture the, you know, mess hall lunchroom. Picture where people are eating. There's tables. And you're sitting down at a table. Just picture this, you're sitting at the table. You can just see the walls are that like whitish, greenish color. It's not one or the either. And you're sitting there at the table in prison. And you've been here for a long time. And you're sitting there and yet here in this moment, while you're feeling lonely, isolated, trapped, Jesus comes walking in and he sits down with you. And you feel so unworthy. And you, you feel like, why is this guy even sitting with me? And yet as he sits down, you can just feel the love radiating off of him. And he looks at you. And he says, are you ready to go? And you say, Jesus, but, but I'm in prison. Have you looked around? Just picture this. You're looking around at all the doors. And you're saying, Jesus, uh, I'm in prison. Yet as you're looking around, you're realizing that every door is open. You're realizing that you're not shackled. You don't have the cuffs on. You're not hooked up feet and hands. You're looking around and you're realizing there's no guards. There's no doors. There's not even other prisoners. It's just you and Jesus. And in this moment, you're realizing, where am I? And Jesus is saying, it's time to go. Because I've already opened the doors. I've already broken the chains. And you and I can walk out of here into the freedom of forgiveness as soon as you're ready. So you sat at that table and you ate your lunch and you ate your food with your arms around it, trying to make it through, trying to bear it through, trying to watch your back, trying to make it each day. And you hear is Jesus in this moment saying, I've already broken the chains. I've already opened the doors. I've already released it. You can walk out with me right now if you want. You don't got to stay here for one more minute. You don't got to stay here for one more second. You don't have to stay locked in this prison. You don't got to stay locked in this place. You're released by his power and his authority. And he takes you by the hand and he lifts you up and you guys walk out of prison together and I believe Jesus wants you to see that picture this morning that you are sitting in a prison of unforgiveness and it's not your fault but it still hurts and you've tried things you tried letting it go and when people say let it go it just makes you more angry because they don't know what you went through how could they even say that to you 
And I believe this morning the Lord wants to speak to your heart with compassion and tenderness as someone who knows I don't know as your pastor. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I don't know as your pastor, and I would never pretend to know. But the Lord knows, and the Lord sees you, and the Lord desires in this moment to take you out of prison into freedom. And all he's saying is, will you open up your heart? Will you release it? Will you take whatever's in there that you're holding on to, and will you lift it up to me and say, God, I let this go. I release it to you. I release it to you in the name of Jesus. I release it to you. I don't want to go one more second with these chains. I don't want to go one more second in this prison. I want to walk in the freedom of forgiveness. I want to walk in the freedom and the life. I want to feel those shackles break off. I want to feel the yoke around my neck come off. I want to stand up straight. I want to run. I want to jump. I want to fly. I want to be a part of life. I want to live it to the fullest. So I'm taking all this stuff off and I'm leaving it behind in my cell and I'm walking out with Jesus in the name of Jesus this morning and he's asking will you take that and will you release it and with every eye closed every head bowed if you have unforgiveness in your heart bitterness in your heart hurt and pain in your heart here's what I want you to do I just want you to put your hand over your heart take all that bitterness take all that pain take all that hurt take all those things that the world can never understand but only God can understand take all those things and just lift up your hand and release them to him Take all those things in your heart. Feel all those things. List all those things in this moment and just lift up your hand and release it to him. Just lift up your hands and release it to him. Surrender it to him. Surrender it to him in this moment. Lift them all the way up. No one's looking at you. This is you and God. If you want it to go, if you want to walk in the freedom, lift it up and release it in the name of Jesus. Lift it up and release it in the name of Jesus. And feel it go. They hurt you. They were supposed to protect you, and you've been holding it, and you've been holding it, and God's saying, I got a purpose for you. I got a mission for you. I got a plan for you, but you got to release it. You got to give it to me, and by the power of the Spirit, I can heal your heart. Release it to him. Come on, lift it up in this moment. All around this room, lift it up. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yes, God. Come on, just leave it lifted. If one hand gets tired, switch to the other. Lift it up to him. Say, God, I release it right now in your heart. Come on, allow that release. We're not quite there. Come on, we're not quite there. Come on, you still think this is an act, but this is freedom. He's trying to free you right now. Release it. Come on. I know you're here. Release it. You think no one understands. How could they even say this? That's right, but the Lord brought you here on this day for a reason so you could hear his word through the scripture. Release it, release it, release it, release it. Come on, release it, release it, release it. Release it. Say, God, I trust you. I give it to you this morning. I want to pray for you if that's you. Just leave, leave your hand up. If that one got tired, switch to the other one. Lift it up. If they're both tired, have your friend help Moses style and just lift them up. And we're going to pray this morning a mighty release in your life and freedom by the power of Jesus Christ over you. And I want you to receive that. This has nothing to do with me. Trust me, if I wanted to preach a message, it was really get everyone. I'd talk about something that's really like funny. But this is for you because I believe God's called you to be here this morning to feel that release. So lift your hands. We're going to pray together. And then the worship band's going to lead us. And we're just going to declare the authority of Christ.
God, I pray over these people right now in this moment. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, as they're, as they're taking all these things in their heart, all these things in their life, all the things that have built up, all of that bitterness, God, all of those things, I pray by your power, God, not because it's an engineered moment, not because they feel like they have to, but because right now, Holy Spirit, you're moving in their heart, and you're saying, I want you to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ, no longer a slave to the past, but the freedom of Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray over them. You see their hearts. You see what they're facing. You see what they've faced. You see the hurt. You see what's come before. And so, God, we just release it to you in the name of Jesus. God, we surrender it to you. God, whatever it is, God, whatever has had a hold, whatever bitterness, whatever pain is at a hold, we release it today. God, you've already won the victory. God, you've already won the victory over sin. You've already won the victory over shame. You've already run the victory over the grave. You've won it in the name of Jesus. And so, God, I pray your authority over these lives, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would release us, release us from any bitterness, release us from any anger, release us from anything that still holds on in unforgiveness. And God, a release by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Feel that in the name of Jesus, a release over your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Feel it come off your shoulders. Feel it come off your heart. Feel it release out of your chest. Feel the release of the pain and the tension in your neck. Feel that release and that pain in your heart. And allow God right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to minister to your life in the name of Jesus. Allow him to speak to that, to release it by the power of the Holy Spirit. If someone hurt you, don't carry it for one more second. Don't leave the door with the shackles you came in. Go out in freedom in the name of Jesus. Release it. Release it. Release it. Release it. Release it in the name of Jesus. Release it in the name of Jesus. Release it in the name of Jesus. Freedom to the Holy Spirit in this moment. Freedom to the Holy Spirit in this moment. Holy 